Um, hey, as a pastor, I'm always encouraged uh, by any kind of growth in people's faith. Uh, any progress, no matter how small it might seem, is always a good thing. And God is patient. Uh, he too rejoices in any kind of growth in our faith when our faith impacts how we live in any way, again, no matter how small it may seem. Um, but God is always challenging us to go big. Uh, now, if you're like me, you want efficiency in every area of your life. How do I get the most bang for my buck? Um, I wanna get the best deal when I shop. I wanna get the most work done in the least amount of time. It's all about efficiency, a maximum return um, on my efforts, on my investments. But when we apply that sense of I wanna get the most um, for the least of what I can do, um, when we apply it to our faith in Jesus, well then we want to grow in our faith in a way that is safe and comfortable and convenient. And God wants more than that from us. God isn't as interested in our safety and in our comfort and in our convenience as he is in our devotion and commitment to Jesus. You know, the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins demands something more from us. As the Bible says, we are living sacrifices. And living a life of sacrifice is going to be sacrificial. It's not going to be safe, comfortable, and convenient. And so each week, we're going to challenge ourselves to go big or go home when it comes to our faith. To do one specific thing that isn't going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. And we want to challenge ourselves to live our faith in a way that costs us something. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 5. And as you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, I just want you to think about um, some of these following questions. One is, who do you answer to? Um, who holds you accountable? It might be your parents, or it might be your kids, it might be your spouse, it might be your boss. But who holds you accountable? And what happens when you don't answer to anyone? Uh, how does that usually turn out? Not very good, right? Um, are there any parts of your life that go completely unchecked by anyone else? Uh, when it comes to your faith, who holds you accountable? Uh, this is a story about what can happen when you are not held accountable. Our scripture reader for this morning is Andy Climes. Andy, if you can make your way on up to the podium. And as Andy does, I'm going to ask you to please stand if you are able and face the center of the room. Um, we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And we read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives. And so, Andy, whenever you are ready, please read from Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, 
he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had, what had happened. Then some young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Andy, thank you very much. You may be seated. Uh, this morning, we don't have children's ministry. It's 4th of July weekend. So uh, for the kids in the room, uh, there is something called uh, the Brick Testament. And what the Brick Testament does is it reenacts stories of the Bible using Legos. And so um, for the kids in the room, I want to, and maybe for some of the adults in the room, I want to reread the story that Angie just read with pictures from the Brick Testament, okay? Um, so a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Uh, now, uh, kids, teens, you may be thinking, um, what, how does this matter to me? This is a really strange story. Um, I don't see how it could possibly apply to me. And it is a weird story, but again, kids and even teenagers, just keep this in mind, okay? Here's an application for you. Um, when your parents give you money to do something like go to the movies or miniature golf or Roaring Springs or Lagoon or something like that, and they give you more money than you need, and they tell you, bring me back the change. Give them back all the change because this is what could happen if you don't, all right? So that's just for you, all right? Hey, a practice of the church in the book of Acts was sacrificial sharing. Believers had a go big or go home kind of faith by selling property and giving the money to the apostles to be distributed to those in need in the community of faith. And right before this story in Acts chapter 5, uh, we read about a man named Barnabas who sold a piece of land and gave it to the apostles for them to use for the church. Um, and with that kind of sacrifice there comes a status. And Ananias and Sapphira wanted that status without the sacrifice. So they sold a piece of property and gave some of the money to the church. Now, that's very generous. Nothing wrong with that. Um, the problem was that they, they wanted the status of Barnabas. And so they lied and claimed. They gave all the money to the church, all for the status. So their motives were all wrong. And they wanted to keep it a secret. They wanted to do this in secret. And what they were doing was wrong, but they didn't want anyone to know. And so Ananias, he died for his deception, but there was more at stake than just his deception. You see, a fundamental root cause for human evil is failing to admit our wrongs. Failing to admit our wrongs, it's a fundamental cause, it's a fundamental root of human evil. Now look, no one's perfect, 
Okay? Bible says all have sinned and fall short the glory of God. It is not realistic to expect ourselves to be flawless. We're not. But it is reasonable to expect ourselves to admit it. When we're wrong to say, I am wrong. Now, I just want you to think for a second and see if you can just identify to yourself, you don't have to share this with the people around you, but just to yourself, identify one thing that you did that you'd have to be honest and say, yeah, that was sinful, that was wrong, that wasn't right. Maybe it was something you did, maybe it was something you failed to do, but something in the past week that you're like, yeah, that was wrong, that was, that was sinful. Um, now, I want us, as you think about that thing, I want you to say out loud, I was wrong, okay? On the count of three, think about the thing you did that was wrong. Count of three, one, two, three, I was wrong. Okay, on one hand, it's not that hard to do. On the other hand, it's really hard to do. <laughs> we like to rationalize our wrongs, make excuses for them. We hide them from others, make sure no one knows about them. I once had a counselor tell me, you are only as healthy as your secrets. Or another way to say that, you are only as sick as your secrets. Meaning that the bad things about us that we hide from everybody else, that we keep to ourselves, those things will haunt us. Or as the Bible says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The negative things in our life that we keep secret will haunt us. And a root cause for human evil is failing to admit when we're wrong. Most of the evil in the world, not all, most of the evil in the world could be prevented if we as individuals and families and communities and countries admitted when we were wrong when we were wrong. What if each of us said, you know something, when I did that, I was wrong. Or when I did this, I was wrong. Every problem in the world could be dealt with if we were willing to admit when we were wrong. Now, there's more work to be done to solve these problems than just making an admission, but until we acknowledge the wrong, it will never, ever, ever be resolved. When, and when wrongdoing is never admitted, all sorts of evil is unleashed. It just compounds. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, it can be from little things, uh, like kids fighting over a toy. Uh, you can see the frustration of the mom in this picture. Um, one of the kids did something wrong, or maybe both of them had done something wrong. But until they admit it, this fight is not going to end, or it's going to end with a winner and a loser. Now look, in games and in sports, winning and losing, that's great. But winning and losing is not so good in relationships. Look, if you do your relationships, either with your siblings or your spouse or your friends or your parents or your kids, if you do your relationships in a winning and losing kind of fashion, you are doing your relationships wrong. When wrongdoing is never admitted, all sorts of evil gets unleashed from something as little as kids fighting over a toy to something like war. 
Wars are caused because there's a wrong that isn't being admitted. Things like ethnic cleansing happen because wrongs aren't being admitted. Human trafficking happens because wrongs aren't being admitted. When we don't admit wrongdoing, more bad things happen. The evil escalates. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Going back to the passage, Ananias died for his deception because that's what happens when we deceive ourselves about our sin and when we don't admit our sin until it's too late. And for Ananias, it was too late. Our root cause for human evil is failing to admit our wrongs and when we don't, the evil escalates, it leads to death, and we are only as sick or healthy as our secrets. And while we do rationalize our sins, sometimes we honestly don't see them. We don't realize them. We're blind to them. Um, and yet, even though we may be blind or don't see our own shortcomings, uh, we will see shortcomings in others, like all the time. It's not that hard. You will see, in fact, the shortcomings in others before they do. You will see the shortcomings in others before they see their own. How many clueless people do you encounter each day? Okay, how many frustrating run-ins with people do you have every day because they are just clueless? Okay, you're driving, you're at a stoplight, the light turns green, the car in front of you doesn't go. Why? Because they're on their phone. Don't they know they shouldn't be on their phone when they're driving? It's clear as day, right? Or you're at the store and you're in the 10 items or less lane and you count the number of items in the person's cart in front of you because they easily have 25 items in their cart and they seem oblivious to the fact that the sign says 10. Can't you count? Okay, and it's harder to count the items in the cart in front of you when you're six feet away, but it can still be done, right? <laughs> now, one of my personal pet peeves is when people leave shopping carts in the parking lot and they don't take them back to the cart return, okay? The cart return's like 10 feet away, 20 feet, 30 feet. It's not that far, okay? You can't walk the 10 feet to the cart return and then the 10 feet back to your car. It takes like 30 seconds, Okay? And that cart, I don't know if you've noticed, it has wheels on it, which means it's not going to stay where you put it. And sometimes in Idaho, the wind blows. And so that cart's going to move. It's going to hit another car, most likely mine. Um, and then if not, if anything else, I just can't park in that spot because you left the cart there. I was listening to someone talking about pet peeves and about how people act in public. And he just said, hey, look, people, remember, when you go out to see the world, the world sees you. So try to be a little self-conscious, okay? You see the shortcomings in others before they do. And Jesus even talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your own brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Look, we can see other people's mistakes even when we have planks in our own eyes, okay? It's not that hard to do. But if we use a little logic here, 
You see other people's shortcomings before they do. You see other people's shortcomings before they do, which means other people see your shortcomings before you do. See, it works both ways. Just as you see everyone else's flaws and they're kind of clueless to it, people see your flaws that you're a little clueless to. Your flaws, your sins, others will see them first. Going back to the passage, even though Ananias tried to hide his sin, it was clearly seen by Peter. You know, our faces are the most recognizable part of our bodies. You know, someone could have a similar body shape or hair color or hairstyle, but we really don't know who we are seeing until we see each other's face. See, we are recognized by our faces. But the irony of that is the most recognizable part of who we are, that's the part that we cannot see unless we have a mirror or something. But we can't see our own faces. It's a little ironic. So when we are eating hamburgers with somebody and they get ketchup on their face, um, how long do you wait until you say something? You know, well, maybe they'll feel it or maybe they'll just happen to wipe the napkin there. You know, this, and this kind of stresses me out in these kind of social situations. Somebody has something on their face. Do I say something? Do I not say something? How long am I supposed to wait? I give it about 30 seconds, and then I'll say, hey, um, you got some ketchup right there. And then hopefully they wipe it off. That'd be good. Um, for most of us, the only way we are going to change is if someone points our flaws out to us. Someone needs to hold us accountable. And there are two problems with that. One is that we don't like being held accountable. And two, we don't like holding other people accountable. We don't like either end of the deal. We don't want to do that. But being held accountable, it gives life. Accountability gives life. Going back to the passage, if Sapphira were to have held Ananias accountable or somebody else who saw what they were doing, um, and would have told him, what you're doing is not right, there's a good chance he would have lived. And the Bible talks about how accountability gives life. In Proverbs chapter 6, it says, For this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life. James 5 says, Therefore, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Again, this is a series about go big or go home. And convenient faith is when we just let others do whatever they want and they let us do whatever we want. It's sort of a live and let live kind of deal. Well, that's not a go big or go home kind of faith. Accountability, holding each other accountable, being open to being held accountable. Well, that's a go big kind of faith. Um, maybe going big means you need to open yourself up to accountability, where you might have a secret, something that you are doing that is wrong, and it's time for you to just stop making excuses. And it's time to go big with your faith. You see, you can't deal with it until you confess it. Confess it to God, but also confess it to someone else. And you don't have to confess it to everybody else, but you do have to tell somebody.
And then that person can hold you accountable for taking steps to change. And when you do that, when you finally share a secret that you've been holding on to with someone, there is a great sense of relief that comes with that. Because it has been a burden to you for probably a really long time. And when you find someone trustworthy who will um, still love you even after you share whatever that thing might be, there, is, there aren't many things more freeing than that. Now, maybe you don't necessarily have any significant secrets, but you also really don't answer much to anybody. You do pretty much whatever you want without any outside input. Sure, you have morals that guide your behavior, uh, but you pretty much make the rules for yourself. And while it's time to go big with your faith and find someone you trust and develop some kind of accountability relationship with them and just simply say, hey, what do you think about this thing I'm going to do in my life? Or what do you think about that thing I'm thinking about doing? And just get some outside input from someone other than yourself to decide if this is a good thing to do or not. Or maybe there is someone you know and that you have enough of a relationship with that is doing something sinful and you see how it is hurting them and hurting others. Well, it's time to go big with your faith. And you need to hold them accountable and lovingly talk with them about what it is you see. Because there's a chance that maybe they don't even see it. And maybe you're in a four-by-four four or a heart-to-heart here at TFRC. Those are small groups of men and women who get together and share how their lives are going. And maybe your group has gotten a little bit into a rut and you really don't share anything meaningful. And it's time to start sharing something real. It's time for your group to go big. Galatians 6 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Look, if you're going to go big with your faith and try to practice some sense of accountability, um, whether you're going to ask someone to hold you accountable or you're going to attempt to try to hold someone accountable, um, there are some things just to keep in mind from that passage we just read. One is accountability is best done relationally. Sure, you can confront a stranger, but you really need a relationship with someone to hold someone accountable. And accountability needs to be done, as the passage says, gently. Gently. Think about how you would like someone to talk to you about a hard truth. I always ask people, if they're going to share a truth with me that's going to be hard for me to hear, please be nice about it, okay? Please be gentle with me, okay? Because it's probably going to be painful for me to hear it. We don't like doing accountability. We don't like being held accountable. We don't like taking the initiative to hold someone accountable. But being held accountable brings life. There are people we know and love who are on a bad path, and they won't get off that path unless someone holds them accountable. You know, there was someone I knew um, who had a real problem with alcohol a while ago, and this person's family saw it, their friends saw it, and for years, no one said anything, including me. And finally, this person's children started reaching out to others, and then some adults got involved. And finally, this person was, again, lovingly, confronted about their problem, which led them on a road 
to never-ending accountability because that's what it was going to take for this person. And because of that, they've been sober for years. They've been freed. It has given this person new life. Being held accountable is the path to life. We're not perfect. The least we could do is to admit it to each other. And not in generic ways, like, oh yeah, I'm not perfect, but in specific ways. Like when I did this, that, that wasn't okay. And when we are confronted with the damage of our sinfulness, we need to believe that God forgives us and that he offers us the path to life, and that there are fellow believers who will understand. There are safe people who will understand, who will lovingly keep us accountable. And God will use that accountability of our brothers and sisters who walk with us to give us new life. Please pray with me. And Lord, we do thank you for your great love for us that when you uh, see our sin, our shortcomings, our wrongdoings, our um, evil intents, Lord, that your reaction was to go to the cross on our behalf. So Lord, help us to accept that forgiveness and help us to uh, seek out someone who we would trust. Lord, bring someone in our life who we can trust to confess that sin, that shortcoming, that wrong in our life. Maybe a secret we've been holding on to for way too long. And Lord, I would just ask that you would, and as we do so, that you would give us the wisdom and the courage um, and uh, just the perseverance to uh, seek out those that can hold us accountable or maybe to seek out those who could use a little accountability. And Lord, we once again thank you for all of your blessings and goodness to us, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine, uh, shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.